Well, hi, my name is uh, Todd Neiswanger. I am the lead pastor of Cornerstone Community Church. And this is, uh, this is Cornerstone Behind the Scenes, a podcast where our hope is, is that we will take biblical truths, ideals, and bring them to light inside of the local church, because we think that's the best place to, to work them out. And so today, I'm excited to be sitting here with Spencer McCush. A lot of you might know him within Cornerstone. He has preached quite a bit over this last kind of spring and, and even into the summer. And uh, he's also the president of Eternity Bible College. Is that what they call you over there, is president? That is one thing they call me, yes. <laughs> Along yeah. with a myriad of other things. Exactly, exactly. The pastor and the president here. <laughs> That's right. But not only is uh, Spencer... Uh, those things, but I think on a personal level, he's a friend, um, and I think that's why I'm excited to do this podcast because it's it's two guys within a local church that um, care about each other, love each other, have lived with each other, and we're just trying to take some of the truths of Scripture and figure out how to live them alongside you. So we're excited to invite you uh, into this journey. So here's here's where we're going today, and we'll just kind of lay it out. We've uh, as a church been wrestling and thinking through the book of First Peter. And I don't think you can kind of look at First Peter or probably any book of the Bible, if we're honest, without running into this idea of identity. Mm-hmm. And so here's what I want to do, just to kind of throw it out, and then you and I can start the conversation. But I'll, I'll let I'll I'll toss the ball over into your court first. When we say the word identity, what do we even mean by that? Because I think people throw it around, but maybe what does it mean? Why is it important? Why, why do we need to be thinking through it as, as people within a local church? Sure. No, I think, um, well, one, I think the issue of identity is, is something that all of us are wrestling through. You know, that question of who I am and what am I to do? Mm-hmm. Um, and it doesn't matter. I mean, I have, I, I look middle school all the way up through, you know, my dad, who's, you know, <laughs> 70 plus years old and wrestling through issues of identity, but going, you know, it's that question of who am I and what am I to be doing? Um, but I think that's that's the issue. I think it's important um, because, yeah, middle schoolers, I mean, I'm in a state of life where, you know, my kids are transitioning. I mean, who am I as a guy in his, you know, mid to late 40s whose kids are now transitioning and going, okay, who am I and what am I supposed to be doing in this stage of life or, you know, whatever. Yeah. But I just think it's a, it's a topic that's relevant because all of us are wrestling through that issue of identity. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's across the board human, right? Mm-hmm. We, we're constantly asking the question of who I am, and to your point, with each stage of life, I think it's fascinating, right? We're, we're forced to re-ask it every, every time we come to a new event, a new reality in our life. Yeah, yeah. It's, I mean, the issue of identity is, yeah, the, in that who am I part, but it's who's defining, like how am I defined, yeah. you know, and like how am I, I mean, you know, me, I, not only, because how am I, I defined, my identity is going to shape how I then interpret the world around me, yeah. you know, because who am I, and then what am I supposed to be doing, or how am I supposed to be thinking? Yeah. And, and the, the crazy thing is, as much as all of us are wrestling through this, God's not silent on this one either. Yeah. You know, like, scriptures actually speaks a ton to this, either directly or just indirectly through the whole scope of scripture. Yeah. And so this this is kind of, this kind of now builds the the case for... I think the difference between how who God says we are, our primary identity, right, the, the realities of who he created us to be, why he created people, our secondary identities that are part of our kind of in and outs of life. Mm-hmm. Um, like you said, you're a dad, you're a husband, you're a president, you're a friend, you're, you're a myriad of different things. But in this, we're, we, we're, we're bringing it back to the wrestle of more, not 
so much even who do I say that I am, but more importantly, all right, now in these contexts, who does God say that I am in these 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 different contexts? And so you look like you have a thought going on well, in your head. Well, yeah, I mean, I think even in that statement you made, you're assuming that people care about how God's, who God says that I am. Totally. Because maybe I still think my primary identity is what I think. And I think what you just said is you're assuming that well, when you're want... spiritual like me, as opposed to you, that's just one of the things that... That's fair. Yeah. That's yeah. fair. I'm just but, being honest. Yeah, but I think, I think like you said, of going, we have all these roles. You know, some people, their, their identity, we're not, we're multifaceted people, but we only have opportunity to have one primary identity. Mm-hmm. And that defines everything else. Yeah. It, it, it interprets how I actually view my role as a dad or as a husband or as, a, as an employer or as an employee. Um, but I only have one opportunity to have a primary identity, which interprets how I'd actually accomplish those, those other roles that I'm in. Right. Um, I think that's, that's why this matters, is we're all wrestling through it. Okay. But God's not silent on it. This is the part that I love <laughs> I it, Matt. Going, I know Cornerstone, we've been wrestling in First Peter, and, and I mean, I know you're going to go there. Yeah. But First Peter actually speaks to this, like, in, in significant ways. Oh, boldly. I mean, I think that's why I'm so excited to talk about this idea of identity with you, because he, the way Peter is coming at this, it's so interesting, right? We, we know that the way that Peter's going to come at this in a group of people that are struggling, that are wrestling through life, that are trying to, to, to look at what's going on in the world around them and make sense of it, he does say, you will never get it until you embrace who it is that God says that you are. In fact, nothing has meaning, purpose. It, you, you won't understand until that, that becomes a reality inside of your life. All right, so that's the context. That's where we're at. That's the, the, the thing that we're going to be talking about today. And specifically, we want to land it now into the book of 1 Peter, which when you look in 1 Peter, right off the very front end of it, after he says, <laughs> Peter, right, this apostle of Jesus Christ. And, and I think what's so fascinating, it even him saying that, he's saying, as an apostle, he is speaking on behalf of God, saying, I, I have the right to define this, right, to tell you exactly who it is that you are. And then he calls this group of people elect exiles. Hmm. Like when I first came to that text, right, it's like of all the things you could tell people, because we know this, they're a group of people that are living up in what was kind of northern uh, Turkey, where, where we can kind of see that today, uh, they were scattered in many ways. I think that's why he uses this idea of dispersion, both on a literal sense, but also he's going to build out a biblical yeah, they sense. They were facing a ton of persecution. They were in a, on a local level, probably in ways that other churches weren't because of, even probably because of Caesar worship. There's different things going on with that. They were just being constantly bombarded. And it, it reminded me, I mean, I remember the probably the sixth or seventh time going through it. I remember a time when I was surfing one time, and it, my only time, which means I really I don't know if I was actually surfing. <laughs> well, if you ever heard of the beaches of Cheyenne, you would understand. Mm. But um, there's this side of it in which, when you get rolled by a wave, you can't get your feet down, right? Like you're, the wave is rolling you, and you're trying to get your feet down. And you finally put your feet down, and you rip them to shreds. And I think that's kind of what they felt like. And it was so fascinating to me of all the words that Peter could have used to identify them in the midst of their turmoil, he chose these two words, elect exiles. Mm-hmm. That's fascinating to me. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, when you're, when you're wrestling through that issue of identity, the temptation obviously is, man, 
I I think all of us are prone to we want to be defined by our circumstance. Uh-huh. You know, um, and that's not where Peter goes. Peter Peter actually calls them to something different. Yeah. And he calls them to something in some ways greater, but it's just it's a redefining of who they are. Yeah. Hey, you're not defined by the community or the city you live in. You're not defined by the oppression or the suffering you're experiencing. You're an elect exile. That's something other. Yeah, which which again, here's old Peter, right? Because probably this would have made him in his 60s, I'm guessing. Right, and, yeah, and definitely I'm, later in life. Yeah, and so I'm, I'm, I'm just imagining if you and I, right, we're, you know, we're experiencing persecution in the, the, the hard streets of Simi Valley, and we go to Peter and we say, oh my gosh, like, you know, I just, I need encouragement, I need strength. And what's so fascinating is he doesn't use a title that is like this ooey-gooey, it's going to be okay. He gives them a title of, in that moment, who they were to be. Right. It's like this is it's almost like the way that I was thinking about it. It's like he in all, right, he could have called them a, a myriad of different things off the front end. But in this turmoil, he suddenly says, this is your defining reality, because this is the moment to which God's placed you. Mm-hmm. This is your time. This is your place to. And again, when we talk about identity, especially biblically, which this is your mantra all the time. This is the way in which you are going to display Jesus well. Right. This is your identity that you are going to live out as a as a means to be able to show the world who Jesus is. And so he calls them now to em- right. embrace it. Yeah, like you said, if like if you guys know me at all, like I, I am really only a one-trick pony. I've, I've got like two <laughs> things to say, and all I do is just figure out different. I'm like Taco Bell, right? I've got like three ingredients, and I just package them differently, but say the same thing over and over again, you know? But yeah, going if you think in terms of the story of God, there's different elements of the story here. The theme of the story, what the story's all about, Peter starts off here. He says, hey, put Jesus on display. This is this is your identity is, as elect exiles. But in that, if you... Th- if you think about the bigger story that God's calling us into, where Peter starts is there's an assumption of authority. He is he is saying, okay, I'm an apostle of Jesus. That's 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 my identity, but I'm writing to you, not defined by the circumstance, or if I can use a storied language. You guys have to remember I was an old English teacher. The context they're in is simply where they are, the fact that they're suffering, or the fact that maybe one or two of them may have been thriving and doing very, very well, but he doesn't acknowledge the context or the circumstances they're in. He acknowledges the fact that, hey, your identity is is in Christ and, and you're, you're elect exiles. That's who yeah. Jesus says you are. You don't get to define your own identity. You know, hey, Jesus has called you to something other. Yeah. So again, I think this theme is going to play all the way through First Peter. It's a reality that is is... It comes up again, I think, verse 17. It comes up again in, in chapter 2, right? Yeah, all that, chapter 2 that, there, yeah. That concept of an of an exile. But even the concept of elect, right, where he does play into this idea of God's role. And, and again, I think that idea of elect, you were chosen to this, right? Like, I I think one of the most exciting aspects of this, and I think on, on one end, right, you might hear the word exile because it's like, Hey, so um, I'm going to give you an identity in which you're going to be known by difficulty, heartache, um, not fitting into the culture in which you live, um, um, constantly nomadic in how you're viewing the world, right? You, you don't belong. This isn't your, it's not your home. 
But then he tempers it in a super cool way with this idea of elect. And then in, in, in verse two, he kind of obviously broadens it out a little bit more to help him understand that. But maybe from your perspective, like how do why do you think he, he threw in that idea of, of elect? And then he, he, he finishes it up with the idea of how the father plays a role in this, right? The, the choosing and bringing them in, the spirit and sanctifying them, setting apart. And then the role of the son, obviously, in and including them now into this this special people that they're born again into like why like why do you think how does elect kind of temper that idea of an exile yeah i think i hear the term elect and i know it's like like um language that that can incite people in yes, different ways and it, and it can loaded. it can it can yeah it's a pregnant term yeah but but go and I, I like the, the idea of that god has designated this like hey god has designated my identity to be to be an exile, I'm not going to be defined by circumstance. I'm going to be defined by something other. And he goes on, and, and it's saying, you know, that that we're. I think it it throughout, like you said, the the theme of First Peter is going to, to regardless of circumstance, God has God has designated you for something other, something more, and it's not the circumstances you're in. The circumstances you are in are just a context for you to put Jesus on display for you to accomplish the mission that I've entrusted yep. to you. And so I, I I think God has designated us for something other than the circumstances we're living. It's it's something that's bigger than that. Yeah, and I even think his concept of born again, right? He's caused us now to this idea to be born again. This was his his intent. There's I have brought you into this world and I have reshaped you and I've molded you to be the displayers that I intend you to be. Yes. I have, as the Father, I love this, as the Father, I have brought you in to, to engage in this way. I have provided, he has this idea of inheritance, a living hope. I have I have promised you that, that what you will have will be not only guarded and protected, but you will be guarded and protected for a salvation be ready to be real. I'm, I have everything in order here. I am pressing it forward. And now in that, I'm asking you to step into this moment and to be the people that I've asked you to be, which I think what's so cool about that, what that means is that Peter wasn't coddling them in the least. Now, I think he was giving them hope and I think he was calling them to joy. So I'm not saying that there wasn't, there wasn't a great grace in that, but I really do think this was Peter using a term to say, I am calling you into your moment. Yes. This is the moment yes. you were given to display God, which when we get into some of the practical things here in this little bit, I that has to be planted into our head. Yeah. If it's not planted into our head, right. we are not going to step into our moment. Right. Yeah. And that's, I think you're still, you started to shift into like what we're supposed to be doing, which is part of the issue of identity is kind of on the back end, uh -huh. but really kind of focusing on who am I? And what does yeah. Jesus, who does Jesus, or who does Peter say that we are now as these, as these elect exiles who were born into a living hope because of the resurrection, that we are now these redeemed image bearers and we have the capacity to actually embody hope regardless of the circumstances we're in. That's who we are. And so so as Peter's kind of building this case that that I think he's starting in chapter one, but it really is not, we can't take chapter one apart from chapter two, three, four, you know, the rest of the book. 
But he's building out this amazing case that regardless of the situation you're in, regardless of how difficult things are, remember who you are. You're not defined here. You're defined by something else. You are in exile because of your newfound identity in, in, in Jesus. And that's not defined by your circumstance. You're designated for something other. I, I love that. Yeah. Now, okay, so let's let's take that idea of identity even a little bit further. So obviously, you know, you are the one trick pony on that one where the idea of we were created to display God, which I totally agree with. But he seems to really be grabbing an identity of Jesus's incarnation because now in the rest of chapter one, he's going to talk about the appearing of Jesus, right? He's manifested. He's going to talk about later on in verses 13 through 21. He is... He is this one that becomes the kind of the the initial almost exile into the world. And now all of a sudden, our identity is going to be shaped by how Jesus walked through the world. In other words, he had suffering, he had difficulty, he had heartache, right? This this becomes the huge thing. So it's almost like from that standpoint, then we need to begin to embrace that is our pathway. The, the means of displaying Jesus Christ into the world is not going to be through puppy dogs and ponies and rainbows. That's, that's not necessarily our path. In fact, he almost is, I think, going to say to him, yeah, th- this is the path Jesus walked, and now this is the path you'll walk. Right? But, he, he equates the two in that. No, absolutely. But I think that's where you're setting us up well for the next section where we actually start talking through the practical side of things. But that's where this whole idea of like biblical idealism gets really messy because we actually have to start talking about the reality of going, okay, I understand that we're not defined by our context or circumstances, but we're defined by this new identity of, Mm -hmm. of being in Jesus or being in Christ. But man, that gets messy. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So that's the ideal. We are a group of people who Peter, as an apostle of Jesus Christ, defines us as elect exiles. We were born again now into this living hope. He's going to talk, right? There's all these ways in which he says, this is who you are. This is who you are, right? Yeah. So, okay. But then, go ahead. I don't think we realize, though, I don't want to just gloss over the circumstance and the situation where Peter wrote this, you, you talked about the geography. Hey, this is kind of northern Greece, kind of northern what is today Turkey, part of the Roman Empire. But I don't think we realize the hardship that they were actually facing. Yeah. And I mean, I think it's helpful to go, like, this was an incredibly oppressive yes. context that they were living in. They were ostracized from the Jewish community. They were oppressed by the Roman community. Like... These people did not have it going well. They were definitely not in positions of influence or power. You know what I mean? Of going, but I think acknowledging the hardship of yeah. these elect exiles is really important to understand this issue of identity. Yeah, not only there, because it's interesting, this faith that he also talks about in verses 3 through 12 that is going to refine, right, and is going to now be shaped and molded into this beautiful reality of an identifier of who we are as God's people. That same faith that's so beautiful is also the very thing that ostracized them, Mm -hmm. right, which is so fascinating. It's a two-sided coin. On one side, that faith, 
was very much like, no, this is what God's after, what he's refining, what he's seeking to bring about so that we won't rely on ourselves, but on him. Like, I mean, there's, you know, all kinds of dynamics that get played into this, but it's an acknowledgement that when we live robustly by faith, this will be the dilemma. We won't fit. Right. We won't. In fact, we won't fit in it. If you were to kind of pull it into our context, maybe politically for just a second, you won't be a very good Republican and you won't be a very good Democrat because you won't fit. Right. You in that context, obviously, you won't be maybe a, a good Jew and, or you won't be a good Roman or, you know. Right, right, right. What be your context? Because now all of a sudden to be born again in this new family, this family that's now an honorable family that has a father. Uh, the son obviously rescues us. The spirit sanctifies us, sets us apart. There is a whole new characteristic of this family, which we'll talk about on our next one that we get after, because I do like the idea of an identity, our, our characteristic of who we are. Yeah. But I really do think it, it does not matter. Every generation of followers of Jesus have been hit by the stark contrast, we don't fit. Right. But this is where I think the messiness of, of this. I mean, we talked about the idealism. Okay, we're elect exiles. Our identity isn't defined by our circumstance. But practically, let's get to the, to the, yep. the difficulty. I'm ready. Because the reality is we can talk about this in theory, but in practice, every one of the people listening, like all two of you, or you and I, let's, be, let's be honest. My mom's going to listen. Uh, yeah. Don't say anything about your mom. No, I'm not going to. Um, discernment is, is a better part of valor. I've heard that once. Um, I caught you. Yeah. Um, but we're all wrestling through the realities of identity and going, okay, so I'm a dad, I'm a employer, I'm a husband, I'm a, a churchman. Um, but if I allow any one of those things to become my primary identity, like, hey, I actually have a passport from the United States of America, I'm a US citizen. But if I allow those things to become my primary identity, that starts to really skew or shape how I interpret those other things. If I'm first and foremost uh, view my family as my primary or my ultimate identity, then that informs how I interact with my workplace, how I view myself in the church, how I view, you know what I mean? Does that make sense? I'm going, and so how, that's the question I have. I'm going, man, how do we actually live this out practically? Yeah. Well, I think like part of this the difficulty of this is what you and I just as friends, I think, talk about a lot is that the danger of when our secondary identities become our primary identities, right? When you tease that out, I don't, I don't know. I don't I mean, I might understand you, yeah. but, I, but I know well, that's a, that's a pretty. Yeah. Well, I, I plan to, I want to tease it out because I, this is what I want to kind of use to draw on our discussion. Because again, this is where you and I, when we're just wrestling as dudes, talking about our kids, our yeah, yeah. marriages, our friendships, what we do, how we think through life, right? is I feel like one of the blessings that I've had in my friendship with you is that we haven't been afraid to say, hey, I think we got our identities mixed up. I think mm -hmm. you, you're, you're, you're taking a secondary identity and making it primary when we need to get back to your primary identity. So, so let, me, let me tease it out, like maybe from a practical standpoint, we can kind of start a discussion. To your point, is that when I suddenly come into, let's say my house, last night I, I walked, and this, this is not what really happened, but let me just play with it. When I walk into my house last night, if I'm primarily thinking, I am the king of my home, I am the, the overseer of my great kingdom and my great castle, and I walk into it, and suddenly it does not look like I want it to be, 
I'm going to have a tendency then to try to rule my kingdom, my little house and my little home with an iron fist, and it's going to cause chaos. It's going to mm. cause problems. It's going to, I'm going to have conflict with my wife. I'm going to have conflict with my kids. I'm going to have conflict internally because I know I'm not the king of my home. I am not the champion. I'm not, I'm not the ruler over all of those things. And then, but to keep that identity is tiring. It wears you out. It causes conflict. It, it, and, and conflict in the wrong ways that is what I mean. Because again, that that identity, I am not the king of my house. That is not who I am primarily. Swing it sure. to the other side. My primary identity is that that house I have been bought with a price. I'm no longer my own. You know all all those realities. That house belongs to God, and I've given to use your terminology again. When I'm working from a primary identity, my main goal is to display God. When I'm working from a secondary identity, my main goal becomes to display myself. Right. So that situation... Which, by the way, did not happen. It did not happen. Didn't happen last night. (laughs) But it did happen the night before. (laughs) (laughs) But if your primary identity is as, like, the king of your home, if, if, if that's the primary identity, that interprets how you interact with your family. If your primary identity is, is as a elect exile in Christ, all of a sudden does, the question we have to ask is, what does Jesus and his kingdom say about home life? And yeah. what, kind of, what kind of husband or dad does he call you to be? Yeah. So that starts to define how you interact. Because the context you're in, you're always going to come home. You're always going to have a wife. You're always going to have kids there. Yeah. So how do you do that? Well, and again, okay, so let's just start with the word elect, right? We'll start there and we'll work to the idea of exile, of how I was been thinking through this. In a very powerful way, the wife that I have, there was a, there was a chosenness to that. And again, I don't understand all the dynamics, and I, nor do I want to get into a huge philosophical or biblical discussion about that. But bottom line is that woman that has been placed into my life, that woman, I hope my wife didn't hear her series. <laughs> woman. That, that amazingly just awesome lady that God gave me. No, but I start to understand now her primary identity as elect, she is a daughter of the king. She is not primarily my wife. She is not primarily the, you know, whatever role she plays within the house. And so therefore now I'm going to see her hopefully completely different as an elect one. Mm-hmm. My children, right? We didn't choose our children. Um, they, they were ones given to us, entrusted to us, right? So now if I think they're my kids versus them being these ones elect brought in, yeah. I'm going to treat them like I own them, and I do not own them. Right. God has designated you for this place and for this time to do his work. To, and to steward into their lives. Yeah. Exactly. Right. So yeah. now, but again... My goal being not that I increase the comfortability of my life when I go home at night or make it so that, you know, everybody just stays shut up so that I can have my way back to your rhythm that you hit all the time. Not only am I seeking to display God, but I want now a home that has a... Right. So, so an interesting... That's elect, right? Yeah, now, no, you can go absolutely. another way with exile, but you... No, 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 but I think that's where, I mean, you're, you're alluding to it, but it's like, man, are you trying to make a name for yourself or are you trying to put God on display and go, and I think that tension has existed since the book mm-hmm. of Genesis, right? And going, all we're doing is figuring out that a 21st version of what we see evidenced in Genesis, right? Oh, <laughs> and like, we run into it in everything. Again, sure. if we just keep with my house analogy, yeah. I run into it. Every time my wife and I have a conflict, guess what we're having conflict over? 
Yep. Who are we going to put on display, right? And thank goodness I'm always the reasonable one, and we get to the point where we put God on display. Um, when I'm parenting. Did you really just say that? I, oh, man, I meant reverse. I meant reverse, opposite mm. world. I'm supposed to say when I say something <laughs> stupid on here that we'll edit that out. That means I don't have to take responsibility for it anymore. I'm going to use that all the time. Anytime we just redact that, edit stupid, that. I'm just going to say, yeah. oh, we're going to edit that. And then I'm yeah. no longer held responsible for what I so said. So what's interesting is I don't think many people here, I mean, I appreciate the, the illustration you're drawing out, but I don't think many people are going to argue with the fact that, hey, if I come in and I'm being domineering in a home situation, okay, I think most people are going to say, yeah, that's a misplaced identity. Yeah. Let's let's drop it down a little bit and go, okay, let's drop into something that may be a little bit less obvious, but still incredibly dangerous, if that's okay. You, you said it looked like you got one. Because, go. okay, so let's say my primary identity is a good thing. Because being a domineering person, not good. We all recognize that. But let's say it's a good thing. My primary identity is is in and around my family. Man, I want to be excellent with my family. But that becomes primary. And that's my primary identity as a dad or as a wife or as a mom or whatever, right? Because I think all of us have those roles. I don't have both role of wife and mom, but yeah. dad and husband, whatever. Yeah. But, but all of a sudden, family becomes the primary identity that I'm functioning in. That becomes the grid then that I'm interpreting everything else through. Mm -hmm. And if that becomes primary then I actually start to interpret other things through the lens of family. Mm -hmm. And so I start trying to make a name and preserve my family identity first and foremost. So now all of a sudden I view finances through the lens of family, mm -hmm. or I view my job in relation to how it benefits my family. I view the Bible through the lens of family. So, so now all of a sudden, I've actually interacted with somebody this way, and it was fascinating to me. We look at a passage like Matthew 28, where, which we say is the Great Commission, you know, go make disciples of all nations, assume, and then they go, okay, yeah, so, baptizing. wait, what's that? <laughs> no, but you go, okay, you know, go make disciples of all nations, you know, baptizing them and teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And, and this person I was talking to really struggled with family being their primary identity. No joke, this is what they said. They said... Go make disciples, assuming that your family is saved first. And I was like, but that's not what it says. No joke. This is what was said, the, their response. No, but that's what Jesus meant. Yeah. What are you talking about? That's what Jesus meant. That's not what it says. Yeah. No, but, but why would you go somewhere else and make disciples if your family's not saved? And it's like, well, you don't get to you don't get to re <laughs> reinterpret scripture in light of mm -hmm. family first. Well, because you know this. Many times family doesn't embrace Jesus. No, no, right. right. I but, mean, but I'm just saying it becomes it, when we actually allow a good thing yeah. to become our primary identity, it really does become incredibly dangerous. Yeah. But, but if we prioritize that differently and go, no, 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 if I actually view my family the way that God tells me to, the New Testament is clear. The New Covenant reality is clear. Man, I have a responsibility in being a dad and as a husband or a mom and a wife, like I can engage with my family in a way that actually puts Jesus on display well, and it informs my parenting or it informs how I interact with my family. But if I get that backwards, it becomes incredibly dangerous. But I think then in the danger that you're laying out, which I think in my life, what I've seen in other people's lives, is we instantly move into deception and then we redefine 
the truths of scripture, right? I mean, you, just, totally. you, you have to completely redefine it. And to your point, your lenses are already skewed up. And so it makes it much easier to be able to, to do something like that. Right. So, so we, we don't like to use these words because these are like inflammatory words. But I would say if we have any other identity, if we only have one primary identity, and Peter's pretty clear in saying, hey, our primary identity is as an elect exile, dare I say any other identity that we allow to be primary is an idolatrous identity? Oh, 100%. So no, man, that's right. I, I think we, we all don't struggle like with, that. Yeah, we don't like it because, man, I struggle with I- idolatry. Then yeah. and that's a, like, ooh, that's a bad word. Like God takes that seriously, right? Yeah. <laughs> and you go, that's the root. Wait, wait, wait. We're 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 idolatrous. Yeah. Well, and, and and I think this is the difficulty of it, right? Is when you look at a book like First Peter, he understands that this is a lifelong endeavor, right? I think mm. I think we miss the fact that I don't think Peter was saying this has to land overnight. Right. He sees in there, especially I think the way he writes, a, a beautiful process that's taking place inside of like a, a person's life that's transforming them. Okay, so so at risk of, we still have stayed in relatively okay. safe territory. Let's go unsafe. I'm ready. Talk to me about the last 15 months okay, in so regards to identity. You just totally threw me a softball, which I'm excited about. So one of the things that we have tried to do, whether you're speaking or I'm speaking, is we've tried very hard to wrestle through the idea of who is our primary identity. And I think we've used a lot of kingdom language. Again, mm-hmm. the other idea of, you know, again, all of these play together. Yeah. But the idea being we have a king. It is King Jesus. He reigns and rules all of, over all things. He is he is the one who is is uh, who places leaders and authority, right? So all those different things. He's also the one then that determines the epics, the times in which we live, right? He, he is the one that uh, allows the ebbs and the flows of a pandemic. I mean, just a myriad of issues that we have there. But now all of a sudden, and again, you saw this off of the very, very start, I feel like within the pandemic, is this idea that somehow God's people are supposed to stay safe, um, which again, I don't. Yeah, that's not what Peter's saying. I, Peter's going to say the exact opposite, right? Bang, that happens. Then all of a sudden, we were hit with the reality that, in again, not in the kingdom of Jesus, but in the kingdom of this world, we were shocked that there's sin, right? It's it's almost like we're shocked that there is racism. We're shocked that there is corruption. Uh, corruption. We're shocked that there are people that take advantage of those moments to you know, pillage and, and do those different things. We're like, what in the world? I thought we lived in a Christian nation, missing the fact, right? There is no such thing as a Christian nation in this world because there's only there's only one kingdom that, that is that is that's garnered by Christ. Politics, right? Pretty soon we're defined more as Republican or Democrat than we are out of the kingdom of Jesus. And what that caused, again back to your point, is it caused, I would say, within all of our lives, a massive deluge of deception to just absolutely sit over the church of Jesus Christ, not just Cornerstone. I, I, I just, I watched as we sat in just this deception, and we began to make decisions, to your point, that were clouded, and decisions that had massive ramifications that did not put Jesus on display. It didn't put him on display through our willingness to submit, Right. And it, yeah. No. no and I, I appreciate what you're saying there, but but why do you think people why, like like why did I struggle in that then? Well, like, why did I struggle with different things? Because I go, was it was it because my identity was was misplaced maybe, 
Because I mean, I'll be honest. I, I I struggled with some of the like some of the not the election side of things, but some of the government stuff in regards to totally. You know, the the pandemic and in in overreach was was that because my identity was misplaced? Do you think or like? Well, there's I think there's two thoughts. One, actually, your identity could be right in that I do think God's people are always supposed to have muscles that identify conflict, right, between kingdoms. And so on one level, I, I, I think we, we, I don't know if I said enough the good side of it where it's like we're supposed to have robust muscles that constantly realize we have kingdoms in conflict, right? But yeah, on the other side, I would say every single one of us, the, the conflict was already in us. It wasn't like we developed it during that time. Every single one of us had misplaced identities. We had, to your point, idolatry. We were, we were living in that way. But this time period, when it came down upon us, which I think is the whole point of First Peter, it exposed where we had misplaced identities, where our secondaries had overrun our primary. And, it, and so it was already there. Right. So this is the part that I'm fascinated by, because I go, if what happened is over the last 15 months, our idolatrous identities got exposed. Every one of us. And I think it is true for every one of us. Nobody because anybody, anybody who's saying they're not idolatrous is not only idolatrous, but they're also a liar. Yeah, you know, completely. We're going, okay, so if all of us got exposed and our identities got exposed and misplaced identities got exposed and, hey, some of us had seasons of success and seasons of you know idolatry being exposed, where is their hope? hope in that because my, my guess is that people probably in being exposed are going to one either try to justify their behavior which i've done that get angry and judgmental towards others i've done that too or run or run to somewhere else that maybe you'll find alignment with people who are just as deceived as you are mm -hmm. which by the way that is dangerous i think right now the exit from california is actually finding ways to stay in that. Yeah, you want to find people who think like you do. Yeah. Yeah, and going, so when we get exposed, where is there hope? Yeah. Is there hope in being angry? Is there hope in running away? Is there hope in, like, where is there true hope? Because yeah. my guess is anybody who's listening to it, even if it's just you and I, we're listening to ourselves, we still need hope and we need true hope. Yeah, so I would say this, let's just use First Peter if that's okay right now, because I think that Peter's going to do this where he's going to say to them, right off the front end is that your identity you were born again into a living hope so whether or not like whether or not i feel like i have hope or not god says you have hope right like again whether i feel like it or not is is two different things but i think like hope is found in the and again i think it's an identity issue do you know who you are Right, he's 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 using this idea of a child of the living God. Well, I, well, I know, but I forget. Or yeah. I know, but I fail, and I know. Yeah, well, I, that's where I, I think we but go again. Whether, all those different things, like a or Paul Tripp, I remember he always had this idea of identity amnesia, which is why we have to get pummeled, right, to jostle us out of our identity amnesia. But don't you think that's the that's kind of the issue? And like, I don't know. Maybe I'm just unloading a lot of baggage here of going. I know. I feel like I'm I, 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 I grew up in a church context where I wasn't allowed to fail. Yeah. Like, I, I'm not supposed to have idolatrous identities once I became a follower of Jesus. Versus Peter, who says, failure actually, and again, I'd say this is the second place of hope, is that suffering, heartache, grief, trial, 
testing, right, that he throws in there, that, and again, in our head appear to be so wrong, are actually now the means by which God takes those wrong identities and takes them out, right? The testing of your faith, the the bombarding of who you are is the, like, where do I find hope? I think it's the capacity to see through those trials and the testing that comes our way to understand that all those things you're talking about that we're deceived about is the very grace of God as he comes in to bear in our lives and takes out wrong identities and puts in correct identities, right? I mean, that's the... So it's okay for a Christian for a follower of Jesus to struggle with idolatrous identities. You and I, yes, you and I have idolatry within us, and we will have it until the day that Jesus returns, because it's a life, that's what I, my point earlier, it's a lifetime endeavor, right? And I think that's where, when you get to the, especially when you come in into, like, verses 13 through 21, which we'll, we'll again, we'll hold off on those, but he comes back to your concept of hope again. And, and actually the engaging in the mission of displaying Jesus, I believe, is what he's talking about in there, because he uses these three imperatives in, in, in 13 through 21. Well, what's an imperative? Uh, an, a command, sorry, good call. <laughs> a command, right? The, I, I'm calling you to do this based upon who you are, based upon your identity. I'm going to call you to do these things. But even the practice of doing those things brings hope. And so it's like, I think Peter just, he loads in the system and he says, not only who you are, but we'll talk about this next time, what we do is is the means in which we find hope. Yeah, I guess, I mean, I, I mean that's that's really cool and good and stuff. And it's like, I've, I'm kind of ashamed of myself here. It's like, oh, I'm, you know, Bible college guy. Um, but I guess I just struggle with the practice of like, so we're, we have these idolatrous identities. We know that's true. Is it okay that I continue to struggle in it? How do I like? How do I go? How do I acknowledge the reality of this, like I'm again, idolatrous, and not be like complacent in that and just go, oh, well, I'm idolatrous, no big deal. Or do I go like I, I just I'm I struggle. I hear your that. struggle, and you can tell I'm playing this off because I think this will be a great discussion for next time, because I really do believe the next section of First Peter, I think, is where you and I can have a phenomenal discussion through this reality because I do feel he is going to answer your our question in that what it is and who we are and how it people that are still have idolatry within them are going to be able to be changed changed and transformed and find hope so i'm going to i'm going to actually choose to say you'll have to wait till next time it means you're just going to go look up and find some answer i am i am i didn't want to answer your question so i'm going to wait for that's actually helpful though i think it's good i think it's good because man i I do think we we all struggle with that idolatrous identity, and I think it's a good conversation to at least kick open because we're yeah. we're all struggling with it. But I think like the key there is like you're the quest. I believe the answer to your question is when Peter says he he brings in the Old Testament concept of God being holy, therefore we're to be holy. I seriously think built into your your question, there's the there's an answer in there that I think I think personally is pretty awesome because I think he's saying. He doesn't say be holy, actually. He says become holy, right? Hmm. And that's what I think. It's a process. So we'll talk more about that later. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. Glad you were able to be with uh, Spencer and I and uh, sit down and kind of just wrestle again through the ideals of Scripture and how they land within the context of a local church. Have uh, Have a phenomenal week, and we will see you next time.